Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Black Sheep Podcast. I am your host, or one of your hosts, Mike. I am Mecca. And we are the Black Sheep. Uh, we've got a very special guest here today. As you can see, for those of you who are viewing this, we've got a little bit of a different camera angle set up, and that's because we've got a special guest here on the show today. Um, the founder, the CEO and founder of the Black Wall Street Times, which happens to be... Um, the producers of this podcast, the Black Sheep Podcast, would not be here without the Black Wall Street Times. Um, so yeah, we've got the the founder and CEO today to kind of give us a, a, a the backstory of the Black Wall Street Times as well as himself and kind of where we're going. So uh, Nehemiah Frank here is on the the show today. Give it up for. <laughs> I had to get my name. Sorry, but yeah, Nehemiah Frank here on the show today, everybody. I'm feeling hype now that y'all hit that. Good, button. Awesome. good. So, me and Nehemiah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am uh, a native Tolson. I was born here at Hillcrest Medical Center, about, I think it's like two miles from here. Mm -hmm. um, I am a Northsider. Left here when I was six, lived all across the country, and decided to move back because most of my family members, they, they all live here in Tulsa. So, it's nice to be back home for a little bit. How old were you when you moved back? I was 29 when I moved back to Tulsa. What year was that? Oh, my gosh. Guys, yes. Make me do some math. <laughs> I'm 40. Well, I'm 38 now. So I was like, I think you were 40. Yeah. Uh, so like nine years ago? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm been a little longer. So, um, Dang, what was Tulsa like when you came back? I mean, they were just starting to build new stuff here. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was interested in is how you've seen the... the um, Kind of expansion of Tulsa, especially this part of Tulsa, uh, where we're at. Um, you know, black, at, here at the podcast, we shoot it at the Black Wall Street Times headquarters, which is um, on Archer, uh, which is you know in, in the heart of what used to be called Black Wall Street. But uh, yeah, Black Sheep Podcast. Uh, we are we shoot it inside the Black Wall Street Times, which is in the heart of Black Wall Street, over on Archer. So give us a little for those of you. Well, give the the listeners uh, maybe a brief backstory of how the Black Wall Street Times came to be. Kind of what was your inspiration in starting it, and like what was it? Because I think people know of it now, but when you started, it wasn't what it is now. So, yeah. like, yeah, give us the bare bones. It definitely bone. wasn't what it is now. Um, I would definitely say it started off as a as a little blog, um, and I actually had a friend who. I wanted to start it with, and he was a, a journalist student. Um, but the issue was, is he was having such a difficult time getting a job in Oklahoma as a journalist. And I was like, well, why don't you just start your own thing? That was, that what, that was the, the very beginning of the black wall street times. Yeah. Um, you know, but I guess he just didn't have, he didn't have the vision, mm -hmm. you know, to really see how, how big it could it could be was he a black guy as well he was a brother yeah. um and you know another reason why i brought it up was just because there was no representation really mm. like we have the oklahoma eagle um but i mean nine years ago i would walk into a gas station and pick up the oklahoma eagle and the stories just things just were not popping like they used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the case for many uh, historic black newspapers across the country. Um, even Jet Magazine and Ebony, like they've seen 
major transitions, um, briefly going out of, uh, out of business mm -hmm. and distribution and having to, you know, get another owner to, to relaunch that legacy that they've built. Um, so with the black wall street times, I knew something still needed to be done. Uh, the, the Tulsa world wasn't really representing our community the way that I felt that they should be. Uh, even the other publications, the smaller publications around town, weren't really capturing like the ethos of what it is to be a Black Tolson or to be from here. And so that was that was the reason why I started the Black Wall Street Times. I, I saw that there was a space mm -hmm. um, that needed to be filled, and I believe that God appointed me to to be the the man for the job yeah you have some there's also some ties there uh with you to the black wall street uh historic black wall street maybe share what are those ties that you have to the area yeah so um on my mom's side my my mother's people they came here in the 40s uh but my dad's people they were here before they were here during the the birth of Black Wall Street. So they were here uh, when O.W. Gurley was running around, when A.J. Smitherman was running around and probably knew them. And that was in the early 20s. Girl, yeah, right? that yeah. was in the teens and the, yeah. and the 20s. You know, and then once the community was destroyed during the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, they stayed here. And I assume that they probably lived in tents because I don't know. I don't know where else they, they could have gone. Yeah. You know, maybe perhaps they may have gone to a relative's house in one of the nearby black towns, uh, but they stayed, they rebuilt and uh, they continued. And I always wondered like, why didn't y'all just leave? Mm -hmm. I would have been gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you got 10,000 white men and, and, and racist folks coming across the tracks and trying to kill everybody in yeah. sight. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't have came back, but, yeah. The more I did, the more research I did on my family history, I began to see why they stayed. And they were one of the wealthiest black families in in the Black Wall Street, in the Greenwood District at the time. And so that was the reason why they stayed. They had real estate. They owned um, a few buildings where there were apartments that they leased out to people. They owned a shoe shine parlor, which really was a front because they were gambling in the back illegally. Um, and uh, they owned a tailor shop. So yeah. all of those things. I think we learned during the centennial this year, um, you know, the Black Wall Street Times put out a, a magazine called Greenwood 100 that kind of commemorates um commemorates black wall street because this is the 100 year anniversary well 2021 was the 100 year anniversary and i remember us doing different projects during that time um and one of the things we just talked about as a team here at the black wall street times was the resilience like resilience truly defines the people who stayed after the massacre and stuff because like you just said like I, I, a lot of people I, mean, I would probably include myself in that now but like Man, if something like that happened to my community, I would probably be out because I couldn't see myself living in the same city with with the people who tried, you know, tried to kill me the night before, the week before, right? Tried to eradicate um, you, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so the resilience of those of the black people who stayed after that um, and rebuilt is, uh, you know, 
the those are the true heroes um you know you talk about resilience and, and steadfastness and, and like they embody that to a t and i remember us like kind of just realizing that and just like thinking about that during the centennial um this is powerful i would think that you know how trauma gets passed down resilience gets passed down too because look at what you're what you're built and that's coming off oh, the strength good. of like your history i mean that's in you so i want to know when you started black wall street times was there resistance in the in that time to you know what you were trying to create um inner resistance no like i've always had a very um i've always tried things like my mom was very um how do i describe my mother i really i would just say my family in general like they just have a real on both sides have a really um narrow whenever it comes to work mm -hmm. they have a really strong work ethic mm -hmm. it is stronger than most families that i see regardless of race um and it's you know you're never gonna get to where you're trying to go you're never gonna get your vision to become your reality unless you don't put in some hard work mm -hmm. and so that that is one thing that I've always kind of I feel like I've taken from them. And so when it came to the Black Wall Street Times, it's like, well, I don't know how to build a website, but I'm going to figure it out. I don't know how to, you know, be a great journalist, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, because you didn't go to school for journalism. I did didn't. You? I went to school for political science. Um, and I don't even like I'm not great at social media, but I'm going to figure it out. It's probably going to take some time. I'm probably going to make a lot of mistakes. And there's going, there will be people that will criticize me and tell me that I am not, you know, smart enough um, or skilled enough. I just ignored all of it. And now this is where we are. So going like, so where we are now. So I want to know, was it just, because you said it's like started off like a blog. So you were just picking up stories and writing and just posting, right? Yeah. Um, when did it transition to something bigger than bigger than just you like when did you know when we so you're writing when is it like all right i need to get some other writers or like yeah i just want to know what the trend what transition was like yeah so i would say like the first big story that i wrote was uh that of a personal friend's daughter she had won the state championship for gymnastics i used to be a gymnastics coach so i did a little uh story on that and a lot of people were into it. They were like, oh, wow, this happened in our community. Someone from our little community in North Tulsa or Black Tulsa is, you know, winning mm -hmm. at the age of nine. And so after that story, this one was like, oh, well, maybe this could be something bigger. And even before I started publishing, um, I remember my friend Mikhail saying, you know, this is, this is bigger. This is going to be so huge. Mm -hmm. You have no idea that you're standing in front of a waterfall and you don't even, you can't even see how big it's going to be. And I think it's because of the name itself, the black wall street times, yeah. that name is, is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Like anywhere I go, if I'm in an airport or if I'm, you know, at some event in Atlanta, like people will stop me if I have black wall street stuff on and they'll ask me about it or they'll say, where can I get that? So the name, the brand name alone is just, it says a lot without, you know, yeah. 
even delivering on that. <laughs> and so I had to make sure that, you know, my, or the company, um, was going to match the strength of that name. And I'm, you know, I feel like, I feel like we're getting there. I don't think that we're there yet, but yeah, I probably didn't even answer your question. <laughs> no, but you know, that does remind, that reminds me of an early memory that I have of you. We were at, we were at the Tulsa, the, the TCC Creativity Center. There was something going, it might've been a pitch night for some kids, but I remember at the end of it, there was a conversation with, at the time, a certain councilman that was talking to you and saying something along the lines of, I think he was trying to get at you for calling something out and he wanted you to be more politically correct. Um, do you remember who I'm talking about? I don't, I'm not one to put out names, but yeah, he used I, to own I, a couple sure, restaurants. Like yeah. He used to own a couple restaurants around here. You know, I can't even remember his name. The really tall guy, though, uh -huh. the real big one. Uh -huh. And I remember this kind of, I was talking to someone on the side and I'm just hearing him say, hey, Nehemiah, like you got something big here, but you got to watch how you talk and watch the toes that you step on. And I remember after we had a conversation, it's like, yo, bro, like you just do you. Like I, I distinctly remember it's kind of just briefly like, yo, do you like, Forget what everybody else saying, mm -hmm. and you have pushed through. And you, y'all, the articles you guys write are big time articles, and y'all put y'all speak the truth. Like, yeah, I'll never forget when I first started working here. Uh, I started working at the Black Wall Street Times towards the like I think December of 2020. Um, and one of the first things you had said, Nehemiah, to me was, even when we created this space here, is we're going to be unapologetically black, right? Like, blackity black black blackity black black like, we're not gonna you know tone ourselves down um to try and appease white people or to try and uh cater to white guilt um you know of course we're not gonna like uh, like stoke those things right but but like you know we're we're just gonna be true to who we are um and that was very refreshing to hear because, you know, I didn't come from a, a journalistic background or anything like that. So I'm already entering in this space with like imposter syndrome. Cause I'm just like, damn, I'm about to write for like a publication and I have no training, but yet here's the founder who didn't have any official training in journalism as well. And he's telling me and telling the team to be our like authentic selves, like just the empowerment in that um, was powerful. And I think that plays a large part into why people enjoy, um, you know, following along with the, following along with us and supporting us is because they know at the black wall street times, like they're going to be real. Like they're not going to be this, um, you know, uh, you know, they're not gonna be like CNN or Fox or these like other huge major corporations where, um, you know, what typical big media does, um, but yeah, what I enjoy about us and what I hear from people like who get our, you know, subscribe to us and stuff like that is they enjoy just the realness in what we put out. Why do we have to apologize for being ourselves? Right. You know, yeah. as black people. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I would think that there, I mean, it's an authenticity that is what, that what draws people and people are always going to be drawn to what's real. Um, and even when I look at, journalism and it's and it's, it's like all other institutions in america you have to when i look back on who is teaching 
and who, what, what was brought in 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 journalistic classes? Was there history of your experience or our experience? Is that is that taught through the you used the word earlier the ethos? And is that in the ethos of education? And for a lot of institutions, it's not. I'm I'm a I work in the mental health field, and I work at in a school in which when I look at psychology, I have to ask myself, okay, well, who's who's psychology am I learning? I got to yeah. I have to take a, a national test that gives me a license to do psychology, and it's like, okay, I'm learning about Freud, but does Freud know anything about like the history of a yeah. kid growing up in North Tulsa? Like, the, the, right. does does any of that come out? And so I think when it comes to what we do as as black people, men, women, like we have to bring our authentic selves because that is, I mean, that's everything. So yeah, I mean, you said like systems were not the systems in place were not created for us. Um, and we we did an article, what was it like two months ago about um, the boy who it was the um, the image of a pregnancy, but it was with a black baby, right? For the first mm-hmm. time, because, you know, in all of our books that we g- learn about in science class and stuff, uh, like the body images and stuff are always of white people. And so the, it was showing the, you know, a, a child inside the mother's womb and stuff and giving the, um, the names for all the different organs and stuff. We've always learned that through a white example, Lens, right? Yeah. And so this one, you know, it's crazy that in 20, I mean, that was probably it was 20, 2021, that was the first time a lot of people have seen a, a black diagram of, you know, a pregnancy, yeah. a child and a woman stuff and stuff and like that. And the reaction from the public. Yeah. Even in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Even in Africa, you see these people are like, oh my gosh, you're just freaking out. I'm like, And then so, you know, white woman from Bixby or someone from, you know, Edmund, they're shocked. Right. Why is this such a such a you know trend? Why are people freaking out over this? Well, they're freaking out because they've never seen mm-hmm. it, and you're not freaking out because you don't see race, mm. and that is a big old problem. You know, yeah. like it is a problem. That reminds me of when uh, they came out with the the black colored uh, bandages. Oh, band aids. Yeah, yeah. band aids, bandages, and. Uh, People were freaking out. It's like you're freaking out because it's it's like you just said. It's like yo, you've always seen your color. Like it's nothing. It's for it's not foreign to you. For you, and so now, yeah, yeah, it it looks foreign to you, and and you got a problem with the fact that I got a bandaid as my color now. Right. Yeah. Or I remember my my youngest sister does ballet and stuff, and you know ballerinas. A lot of them, for the first time, are getting brown shoes, black shoes, to match their skin color. Wow. Because ballet shoes were are that peach color to match white people's skin, because you know, so it looks all in unison and stuff. And you know, there's been a recent um, like uptick in black ballerinas coloring their shoes brown or getting brown shoes. Uh, and yeah, for the the large popu- large part of the population that's white doesn't understand how uh, like just impactful that is to see stuff that's like made for you and stuff. And so that's why, I mean, it's great. To Everything them. is made for them. Right. You know, so, and so now to have a media outlet that is um, made for black people, but not just black people, but to amplify the stories of black people that, like you said, often get overlooked or not told, um, you know, 
I I just know black people. There's a sense of ownership uh, with our you know publication and stuff. And but it's not just for black people, right? Like I, right. I believe, what is it? Is it half of our viewership? Probably close to half is our white people. Yeah, mother. Yeah. And what do you? So what's the? Um, do you see like a, a an importance or responsibility with that? Uh, the fact that like so many white people tune into your publication. Like, what is your goals or hopes with that? Yeah, so my goal uh, and my hope is is that they'll uh, be able to ask questions, mm-hmm. right? Um, be able to look inward, um, and and see that you know our problems are their problems. Mm-hmm. Our history is their history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I got a question with the present day. Right, right now, you own a. Thank you, sir. Um, a black media company. And so what is the, like right now, what is the, what's my word I'm looking for? The trajectory, not trajectory. Keep going. Keep, keep help me out here. Uh, not trajectory, but um, like right now the need, there is a Jesus. Um, so where are we currently at as a black? Like, what are you, what are you? Jesus Christ. People I'm having the brain fart. Um you have a black media company <laughs> and right now I want to know in the current day the need for a black media company and what do you think Black Wall Street Times is doing for um for representation? Uh well yesterday I sat on a panel for the Aspen Institute and we were talking about um the gatekeepers and media. And so in the past we have, I don't know how many black people have tried to send their opinions or their letters, you know, to the Tulsa world only to have them rejected or Mm -hmm. overlooked. And to be honest, like the majority of the Tulsa world's audience, right? The readership, they're not, they don't want to hear from black people. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just keep it 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many of the people that are here are the descendants of the people uh, who yeah. burned down, you know, by community. So, of course, it's going to be difficult for you to have your opinion elevated or amplified, you know, to a larger audience. Um, so when I came into the Black Wall Street Times, once I realized that this thing was bigger than myself, um, I made it my mission to... Uh, make sure that access was um, access to being able to have your black voice amplified and elevated um, your black um, issues or experience elevated, not only to Tulsa, but to the nation, because that's the importance and the power of black media. We've broken several national stories um, right out of tiny little old Oklahoma, you know, this tiny little bitty publication. Um, and people are looking in there, you know, we're a spotlight. Um, if we can't go to the Tulsa world to try to have our issues amplified, then we ought to make our own way, right? Draw our own circle. Uh, if the other publication, uh, the other black publication in town, uh, maybe thinks that we're just a little too progressive or we're a little too young or, you know, or wet behind the ear, then we can still make our own circle Mm. 
and 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 amplify our our voices. One, thank you for taking my crap of a question and turning and you answered it exactly. That was what I was trying to ask you. Um, and I I love the fact that you're talking about you know if they don't want to you know give us a seat at the table. We'll build our own table. That's right. Um, yeah, right. Um, yeah. So what? So where you said that we Black Wall Street Times has broken a few national stories. So kind of tell the listeners, let me give an idea of where we are now, because we've got some, some new, we are growing nationally and stuff. So maybe give people like a brief picture, kind of what's happening with the Black Wall Street Times now. So then that will set up kind of where we're going in the future. And I also want to touch on the fact that like last year was a huge year for Black Wall Street Times. So touch on a little bit of like, Okay, yeah, past, past year slash yes. where we are now, like yeah. kind of how things are growing. Um, how we are well, we're definitely we're expanding nationally. I tried uh, to to turn this into a nonprofit um, and just have the times be an Oklahoma thing, but I began to realize that the same issues that we were having here, as far as begging a media company with gatekeepers who don't care about our issues as black people. Um, They were doing the same things in their cities and their communities. There is a deficit when it comes to our issues getting to the national, to, to, to the national media. You think about like all of the black girls that are missing across the country. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we know about them? Um, and people will say, well, why doesn't, why isn't black media report? Well, black media is reporting. They're just not big companies. Yeah. Though they might make it to the root, but they have a small staff too, mm-hmm. you know? So they only have so much that, you know, they're researchers out there just reading black publications to discover a story that needs to hit the national media. Um, and so like there's a little girl named journey, right? Journey went to school and she had her hair cut by a teacher and that dad was doing everything. He was pretty much fighting the school district by himself, this black dad. Um, journey was at a majority white school district in a majority, you know, white County went to the local news, called the local news stations, called the local papers. No one cared about his story. Mm-hmm. It seems like just over the last five years, really under the last administration, that um, white America has become tone deaf. Some of them are, you know, ashamed to even admit that this nation has had a horrible racist history. So white people are tired of talking about racism. They don't want to hear nothing about it anymore. Um, And every time they say that, they say, are we still talking about race? Right. Well, damn it. Imagine living through that that shit daily. And so, you know, Journey, you know, she's by herself. It's like, well, who's going to, who's going to help amplify the abuse this little girl Mm -hmm. went through? She didn't want to go to school anymore after her hair got cut. And we, put the story in the Black Wall Street Times. And then the next thing you know, it blew up. NBC, Good Morning America, 
Fox News, all of the major, even the BBC. I was say we had an international. They, yeah. They, us. yeah, they were talking about this little, you know, mixed girl who had her hair cut by her teacher. Right. Um, and even, you know, there's another uh, Xavier, another kid, you know, who was incarcerated at school, mm-hmm. you know, inside. They locked him in there. Nothing to sit on. It was a concrete room. It was worse than a jail cell. Yeah. And, um, you know, we blew that up to a national and international story. So there are, there is a lack of representation across the country, especially in the South, when it comes to Black people having access to having their stories and their issues amplified to people who can actually make a difference. Yeah. So that's one thing. And so that has led to us getting a relationship with the White House and being able to be on calls to say, hey, this is happening in our community and we need y'all to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, During the during the um, Betty Shelby trial, Betty Shelby, the former Tulsa police officer who murdered Terrence Crutcher, the local media had their narrative that they were running with. And where were the black reporters? There were no black reporters Mm -hmm. reporting you know, on this story. And so once again, we are uh, in a position where we have to trust, you know, the descendants of the people who, again, massacred, you know, all of these black people and burnt down the community. We have to trust that they're going to tell our story the way they, you know, the way that we would like them to. And they're not gonna do that because their readership don't doesn't want to hear that they're not for that and if they hear that then they're going to abandon you know the publication and they don't want that either so yeah at the compromise of our black lives and our existence um and so that is the importance of black media so during that trial we were able to control our own narrative and say exactly how things were and that led to um you know, me having to do an interview in front of the entire country, CNN, all that, that was like the first big, like breakout moment for the Black Wall Street Times mm-hmm. was in 2017. Mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. So I do want to acknowledge you because I've seen the passion that goes behind these stories, um, because these aren't just stories uh, that you guys are all writing. Like you guys are definitely injected into the lives of the like the, the names and and what is actually going on with these people. Um, I'm reminded of Julius Jones' case. You guys were all over um, that case and very emotional about it. It was named, it was a very emotional time for Black Wall Street Times um, staff and everyone. Can you guys you, can both of you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I was gonna say I you know reporting on. Like journalists at the the ground level, not like the the Chris Tucker. Is his name Chris Tucker? Uh, it's the black comedian. Chris Tucker, Tucker yeah. Okay, who is or that? Chris Rock. I almost said Chris Rock too. Who's the white guy? Carl Tucker on Fox. Oh, Tucker Carlson. Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> I messed what? that all up. The man child. <laughs> right. What I was gonna say was all of, so like, you know, guys like that, Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, the, the guys who are on the TV and stuff, Don Lemon, they have teams 
who go out and like do the research and stuff for them. But when you get down to like the ground level journalists, like your local uh, media outlets and stuff, those journalists and stuff are actually the ones out going to the stories, interviewing the families themselves, um, you know, staying up, doing research for hours and stuff. And so there is a level of um, almost like you ingest like the trauma and stuff. Like I've told you throughout like last year, 2021, the different stories we um, reported on stuff. I did not realize the level that each story will kind of sit with you and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty passionate about police misconduct and social justice. And, um, and so, you know, watching repeated body cam footage of police officers shooting a, a 16 year old boy in OKC 15 police officers shooting one 15 year old boy. Right. Or, you know, seeing um, different police shootings, it feels like month after month. That shit is heavy. Mm -hmm. It is heavy as hell reporting on each story, learning the facts um, and all of that. And so that was a part of the, the, the job that I did not realize was there. And I think, Overall, people probably should you should give a little bit more grace to those people who are trying to do the work of telling the stories and stuff because, yeah, I mean, reporters and journalists and stuff like, like you know, at the ground level, um, their jobs are not easy. And as much as people like to shit on the quote media, talk about how bad the media is. Um, no, the ones who are at the like the ground level, the smaller publications putting out stories and doing the work, like they actually need a, a heap of praise yeah you guys Absolutely. touch trauma like i mean you it not only touch it you unpack it and repackage it for the world to un, to digest yeah and that's not easy yeah i will say like black journalists the difference between um black journalists and white journalists and people can you know they can say whatever they want to say um about you know my opinion but it is my opinion that we we don't just go back to you know like i can't take my black skin off you know when it comes to reporting on voting rights mm. for black people that means that i as a black journalist am going to suffer <laughs> Just like every, you know, all of all of all of the people that I'm reporting are going right. to suffer uh, when it comes to, to voter suppression um, of, of, of black folks. Uh, when I'm reporting on the education um, deficits, the uh, achievement gap, that means that, you know, my family members, that this is affecting my family members because we're black people when it comes to. Um, black people being, you know, the most likely to experience police brutality, the most likely to um, be on death row, uh, the most likely to have a health disparity. That means I'm talking about my community, my family. And so that is the depth. Like we internalize what we write more so because it affects us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, like you said, with, with every story you can envision, man, this is either my friend or a family member. Like I remember I did a, a story like a, a couple months ago about police officers um, brutalizing a, a quad 
who was driving in the vehicle, you know, and they pulled him out of his car. By quad, he means quadriplegic. Yes. Um, pulled him out of his car, even though he's pleading with them, like, yo, like, I can't get out of the car. My legs can't move, right? And the police officers just yank him out of his car and throw him on the ground. By his hair. And, right. Yeah. By, yeah, by his locks. And, and I, immediately I'm just going, well, shit. I mean, to me, when I'm reporting, I'm like, I can see Mecca in this story. Um, and so, yeah, there is, I mean, yeah, there is a level of, of internalized trauma with each story that it helps just to talk out loud uh, with other people about for sure. Mm-hmm. Something about being heard um, that in its own self is therapeutic. Man, as we wrap, man, I just want to know, uh, I know. so what is the immediate future of Black Wall Street Times? What's the immediate and what's the long-term future? I hope I'm hope I hope I'm included in that. <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna get rid of Mike. No, Mike. <laughs> so the immediate future. Uh, right now, we are we're raising capital. The goal is two point five million dollars to expand uh, to have the resources to really make an impact nationally. So we're already nationally, um, but in order to be able to compete with these bigger media companies like The Root and The Griot, we need the funding. And so that is the immediate goal. Um, yes, 2.5 mil. So, Drake, if you're listening, um, you know, feel free to cut a check. But think about that. Think about how crazy it is to start something from a blog level to now you're in a position to, you know, I'm making a $2.5 million ask. Oh, well, I went with him. We were at the Oklahoma Thunder uh, Arena we're at, at, at mid court. I'm sitting front row, um, like in an empty arena. And he's making a pitch of the Black Wall Street Times to venture capitalists, to angel investors and stuff. And I'm sitting here just going, damn, I don't really belong in this room. <laughs> like, like I'll be playing, they don't know, but I'll be playing Fortnite at home. Uh, and here I am, you know, in the midst of angel investors and venture capitalists. I'm just like, oh, man. This-. So, yes, I cannot even imagine, you know, Neil, you talk to the, us, the team about it a lot just there needs there's it's good to have moments of just reflection and appreciation for how far something has has come and grown and to start from yeah a blog to pitching to angel investors and venture capitalist firms it's like i can't even imagine well as we wrap i just want to again acknowledge you for um the work that you put in um the personal work the professional work uh, we haven't even touched the personal work yet. So we're gonna have to have you back uh, on a, another show because that was, this was all just professional Nehemiah Frank, uh, personal Nehemiah Frank. Oof. There is a lot there um, that I've learned throughout the year and I'm still learning, but there's a lot there that, um, you know, you've been through a lot. We'll say that. So we're going to have definitely have to have you back on the show. Um, but we do always like to end um, with a, a little segment what hill are you willing to die on and stuff and so uh each week we kind of or each time each episode we kind of pick a different hill whether it's related to something happening in the news uh you know maybe something that you've realized internally or whatever but it's pick a hill you're willing to die on so mecca i'll let you uh go first what hill are you willing to die on this week it's crazy when we record this we know that this question is coming and yet it still catches me. 
Um, for me, uh, this is I we this is unrelated to anything we've talked about, but uh, like I said, I work in a alternative school, and I think just with just the conversation that we're having, uh, for me, the hill I'm willing to die on is to elevate uh, the voices of those that don't get heard in my school. So um, that is the hill that I'm willing to die on. Mike? Yeah. I think I'll, you know, you joined me on my hill the past two times. So I think I'm going to join you on this hill as far as elevating and amplifying stories of those who either often are overlooked or stories of those who are often ignored, whether it's by other media outlets or, you know, whether it's the youth or the youth at all at alternative schools, you know, um, yeah. Amplifying, acknowledging, amp- acknowledging and amplifying those stories for sure. Um, I'll join you on the hill because everybody, you know, ha- everybody has a voice, everybody has a story and experiences and everybody wants to share that. But if we don't give every- everyone the opportunity to, um, then we're living a very small uh, worldview for sure. And Neo. Uh, well, I will say uh, a few months ago, the hill that I was ready to die on was for Julius Jones. You know, this innocent brother is still locked up and incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with all evidence pointing to uh, someone that he used to hang out with 20 years ago. Uh, today, I would say the hill that I'm willing to die on is still for my community of Greenwood. Yeah. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we are out over and out. And we'll catch you guys, you guys uh, tuning in and listening. Um, like we said, we are definitely going to have Nehemiah back on because personal Nehemiah has a lot of uh, good insight and experiences to share that I, that I know will help people. Um, so Nehemiah, we appreciate you coming on you and sharing you know, about Black Wall Street Times. I uh, appreciate all you do for the community, for us. And um, yeah. Got you guys on the next one. Later.